0: The direction I want to go with this has to do with, it's interesting that you're saying that like one of his main themes is kind of the moral and technological link, because that's where I want to press into how we're conflating morality and technology right now, particularly when it comes to climate policy. Hello, and welcome to Thinking Out Loud. I'm your co-host, Nathan Rittenhouse.
1: And I'm your co-host, Cameron McAllister.
0: Uh, Cameron, I read an article in the National Review by, that was based off of another article or statement by John Gray, and John Gray is somebody that you and I don't see the world in the same way as, but kind of quote from frequently. Can you give uh, folks a little crash course on who John Gray is and why you find him so interesting?
1: John Gray is a philosopher who used to teach at the London School of Economics, but then became a world-famous author. And so didn't need to teach anymore. And now he just writes books and articles. So probably his most famous book is Straw Dogs, which is a very uncompromising look at life from a naturalistic standpoint. So John Gray is a thoroughgoing skeptic, but he's also a take-no-prisoners kind of guy. And so he has very little patience for, say, the new atheists. And let's just face it. I think the new atheists reign of dominance is over. I think it's pretty safe to say. But yeah, they were mainly when, based when on shock their rather than
0: substance. And so now that now that the shock has worn off, everybody's like yeah.
1: Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, a little bit Marilyn Manson effect there a little bit. But yeah, he he sort of he was very good at taking the wind out of their sails on a routine basis by reviewing their books in publications like the New Statesman and so on. He's also a very good writer, and again, like I said, very uncompromising. He's got sentences along the lines of something, I think, to the effect of genocide is as human a practice as prayer, and that's his sort of reflection on the history of the human race and how we treat each other. He's also one of the—and I suspect this will come up today— one of his big targets is what he calls the myth of progress mm. the notion that we're gradually getting better more enlightened we're throwing off the shackles of religion and former superstitions and we're we will one day usher in a brighter future where we all think well i mean he again he goes after steven pinker here quite a little quite a bit <laughs> but Again, he has a helpful little phrase there where he says, we often confuse technological progress with moral progress. Mm
0: -hmm. Not the
1: same thing. Yes, there is technological progress, but we also have the ability, we also have the threat now of nuclear proliferation. That takes some ingenious technological mastery to accomplish, but it certainly doesn't represent a moral victory. So he's a very honest philosopher. He's also a very good writer.
0: Well, so let's um, Well, a couple things. First of all, I want everybody to know that I totally just put Cameron on the spot, and that was a pretty kicking three minute introduction to a philosopher off the top of your head. So, way to go, Cameron, with direct quotes and everything. Appreciate that. Um, <laughs> yeah. the, the the two points for Cameron. Um, the the direction I want to go with this has to do with. It's interesting that you are saying that like one of his main themes is kind of the moral and technological link because that's where I want to press into how we're conflating morality and technology right now, particularly when it comes to climate policy. And so the argument that I had been reading from John Gray basically was saying, there's, there's a sense in which our idealism of technology is outrunning our actual capacity and that it's a time of kind of absurdity in that sense. So and I mean, this this comes on the back end of I've been tracking mm-hmm. a number of headlines that seem to be popping up in the last month or so of all of these massive companies from Amazon to airlines to whatever who are saying, oh, wait, we're not going to be able to reach our climate change goals that we set out as a company of saying we're going to reduce our carbon emissions by X percentage by this date. It's not going to happen. Um, you have Lego coming out now and saying, well, we can't actually make our bricks out of recycled plastic because they're not strong enough. Um, so like a, a whole lot of stuff, I don't know. It's just, there's. has it seems like there's been a smattering of headlines in the last month of where I think probably the engineers and some of the data analysts and, um, Economic folks who listen to the mm-hmm. show would be like, told you so. Like, it was pretty clear we weren't on track to do that. He would also point out, you know, even, you know, Germany's whole thing of getting rid of not only fossil fuel, but also getting rid of nuclear and a total transition to renewable energy has now left them in a position where they don't have nuclear and are burning coal again. So there's this, he's he's just pointing at this idea that we live in a time in which our idealism far outstrips our actual capacity, but it's absurd because now we're making like massive policies based on it. And he's not an anti, he's full on board with you know global warming, climate science, the whole nine yards. Like there's there's no climate oh, yeah. skeptic anything about him on that. He's he's totally in that basket. But he's saying um to to neglect adaptation as a as a rational like what it is that we can do to mitigate the consequences of this and to not even focus on that at these moonshot ideas that we don't have the, even if we had the money, we don't have the technology to do is just laughable. So on one hand, it's easy to point at that as an example, but where do you see that Cameron as far as, I mean, it's just a, is it just a given Mm -hmm. fact of humanity that our idealism outruns our capacity all the time or what does that point to?
1: Well, I do think we're, well, I think we're at a bit of an ironic spot right now because we have we have this dual capacity on the one hand we can ideate more effectively than ever because we have at our disposal amazing tools we have the whole online world we have systems of collaboration that are just would have been unimaginable to people in previous generations But on the other hand, we also, because of this very technological sophistication, never have our limits been more clearly spelled out for us as well. So you have these two things going on. On the one hand, you can, yes, you can dream big. And guess what? You can put a whole lot of machinery behind that big dreaming. And you can get decisions made. You can sell people on the idea and get investors really excited about it. But then we have, again, we have all these tools and you know, diagnostic, we have all this diagnostic machinery that shows us very clearly, this isn't working, this brick is not strong enough. And yes, the the easiest place to point to right now is Germany, who were way too hasty. Again, you have a high level, that's that's a typical example of a high level of idealism in good intentions crashing into the hard stuff of reality and what's actually possible, and of course now their their na- germany as a nation finds itself in an extremely vulnerable place and they find themselves in you know all under all sorts of economic constraint so i think what john gray is getting at a little bit it sounds like is also a historical moment where it's possible to you know ideate and dream and think creatively and idealistically in ways that we couldn't imagine before but also to see our limitations in ways we couldn't imagine before and I think that that's making for <laughs> yeah. some some pretty conflicted emotions.
0: Well what about so is there's a sense in which uh, okay this is this is not a, a a total either or thing here. We're not saying like don't invest in any renewable, in, you know. Okay do that cautiously to the degree that it makes sense in the market. And we actually have the technology and, you know, the resources to pull that off. Uh, this isn't an either or there, but there's a sense in which Germany's ideal is, um, collapses because their w- the world that they actually live in also in- involves a Putin. Right. So like there's a wrinkle right. in, there's a wrinkle in utopia. So while you were speaking, I was thinking about, um, I had this funny reflection. So in eighth grade, I had a history teacher, who would always do this? He'd put a pencil in his mouth like this, and then he would say, "Ah, that a man's reaches should exceed his grasp, or what's a heaven for?" I don't know why he put a pencil in his mouth. Ah, but it's, it's a quote from Brown. Is it a poet, Brown James? Maybe is there James Brown who's a poet also, other than other I mean, he, James he must, Browns? But
1: he must be simulating a cigar.
0: <laughs> yeah, I think so. So ah, but it's an interesting line. Ah, that a man's reaches should exceed his grasp, or what's a heaven for? there's there's a little bit of that not a poet here, but it seems like is that pointing to that desire that we have so so I, I guess the critique there is like the concept of a heaven is is the is the embodiment of this ability of us to reach for things that we can't grasp um, or that there's a sense in which the concept of a heaven is an ideal that we can conceive that doesn't have a bad guy in it so Germany's ideal has a Putin in it and that's a problem and our concept of a heaven and the ideal that we can envision we can't grasp it but we're envisioning an ideal that doesn't have the devil in it so to speak Mm -hmm. I don't know where any of this is going I'm just seeing interesting connections in my mind (laughs) I don't know I didn't go quite that far but what's going on there
1: well here are a couple of observations about that so I always go back to Sir Thomas More's utopia, and of course, the etymology of the word itself, which means no place. So this was originally a satirical concept.
0: Hang on. We need to clarify something. The, the notion- so there, there, there are two utopias. Right. So one is utopia EU, which is a good place, and then there's utopia, which is no place. So some people get lost mm-hmm. in the weeds there on the different utopias. So anyway... Just beware of that. Carry on, Cameron.
1: Yes, important, important point of clarification there. But I think we we have, again, if, if we are to believe that if Christianity is true and we are made by the living God to be in an eternal relationship with him and nothing less than that will satisfy our souls, then that's inc- That's an incredible, there's an incredible spiritual restlessness when we go looking for that anywhere else. And one of the, the shortcomings of the modern mindset, and it's still, it's amazing because we still seem to come back to it over and over again, even after two world wars and countless other disasters that have, you think, ought to have definitively proven that humanity is not up to the task of saving itself. Even with all that aside, we still tend to the modern mindset still tends to shift in, into a sort of into a I think a, a territory of thinking Hey, we can fix this. If we're if we're smart enough, and if we're zealous enough, we can fix this. And the problem is just that we have so much ignorance in the world.
0: So so, is so this
1: in a- you know. The, the devil of, of atheism and skepticism is ignorance, right? So if we can get rid of ignorance, abolish that, get more education, then these social ills that have been pulling us down will be eliminated gradually. And then we can see a kind of heaven on earth. I mean, there's, there are various iterations of that. There's of course, the, there's the Marxist version of that, but that's, that's a common theme.
0: So what about this idea? You were saying that Gray has an interest in the connection between the moral and the technological. What then happens or help me help me mm-hmm. I, I feel like something is here, but I can't quite articulate it. That that on certain things like climate, for example, that the moral and the technical are linked, are deeply embedded one within the other, that there's a there's a, a compulsion and an oughtness it's nebulous at best, I think from a naturalistic perspective, but it does seem to be there that, you you know, your Greta's aren't just irritated. They're angry. They're Mm -hmm. skipping school and chanting and yelling and how dare you and all that kind of thing going on. What's going on? I can't, maybe, maybe it's just that, maybe that our, maybe that our morality and our technology or technology has promised so much that we therefore think we can embody our moral agenda where we can actualize our moral agendas with technology.
1: Well, two things there. Yes, I think that's right. I think we, because we see technology sometimes in magical terms, this will deliver us from everything. This will fix every problem. We tend to conflate it with our moral vision. And that's part of what John Gray was getting at with that basic confusion where we confuse technological progress with moral progress. And then with regard to climate, you have a growing recognition of the consequences of our habits down the ages and just just how how wasteful we've been but how how incredibly damaging from an ecological standpoint our practices have been so that's one of those areas where again you can see your limitations human limitations and human folly up close we can measure it very clearly but then when we when it comes to trying to fix it and address those problems I think, and I'm I'm out of my element here a little bit. This is above my pay grade, and this is territory you understand better than I do, Nathan. But from what I gather from the voices, the reliable voices I've read on on this topic of addressing ecological disaster and some of our wasteful habits, the solutions are going to have to be local and realistic rather than some top-down, one-size-fits-all. And the problem is we're geared to want the latter we try we, we tend to think no we need we need a solution that will you know that i mean a standard that everybody has to abide by but more and more we're this is where the the fragmentation of the modern world is kind of coming home home to roost because we see this in a number of different areas we see this in efforts to address whether it's you know about well, climate justice and its various guises or economic you know or politics We're seeing more and more a chorus of voices kind of coming together and saying, yeah, there's not going to be some global solution here. You're going to have to actually take responsibility and ownership in a community. And that, I mean, this has to be your immediate neighborhood until you come up with some feasible kind of practices in your own neighborhood That's the best start. That's really the place to start. It's not some top-down solution that will fix everybody, everything for everybody economically. That's not possible, and technologically, it's not possible either because technology is not magic. It's there's an interesting here's here's a little analogy that I think might maybe somewhat helpful. Maybe it'll take us off track. I don't know. It's thinking out loud. I can do it. (laughs) But you know, maybe the the first time ever in the realm of well, sure, yeah. So in the realm of science fiction the generic distinctions or the or the sort of the subgenres can be instructive on this regard so you have sci-fi fantasy and you have hard sci-fi i think these are two very interesting distinct genres in sci-fi fantasy the technology is basically magic so your hmm. example mm-hmm. the example here would be star wars that's sci- that's more sci-fi fantasy you know then you have hard sci-fi and in that that's the that's the, the science fiction that is written by engineers or people with engineering minds stuff breaks and it doesn't magically deliver you a lot of the action and the drama pivots on malfunctioning machinery and that's part of what makes it so interesting and the machinery you know it's again it's not you just say hey here's a time machine we will now magically whisk away. No, if somebody's writing in the genre of hard science fiction, they're going to introduce all the problems that come along with that. Now you got to deal with time paradoxes. They got to do. Okay. With all so this I'll give stuff. you an example. The future so,
0: so Michael is, Crichton's timeline. Yeah. So Michael Crichton's timeline. Right. Is yeah. a total exploration of problems with time travel. Right. Yeah. So, it, so, but th- this all goes back together. of, okay. So, and John Gray is going to say, look, your fundamental crisis here is that politicians promise you stuff they can't deliver and everybody still votes for them. And, and voila, you get a policy. Um, and then maybe the analogy that pops into my mind of saying so often we build a train without building any tracks for it. And we're like, look at this thing we made. And we're like, Mm -hmm. great. It's not going anywhere because we don't have any tracks. So there's this whole cycle of like, what is actually possible? Let's build the tracks and then build the train or build them both at the same time, at least, um, in order to make progress. But is there getting back around to this idea of our ideal always exceeding, like outrunning us, like you have to do that in order for there to be innovation. Like there have to be dreamers. There have to be people who have their heads in the stars a little bit and push the boundaries of what's possible in order for like that's where all of our neat stuff comes from. So I'm not I'm not poo pooing that idea. I'm yeah, saying that, that it makes a poor savior. Like it's a, it's a self it's self help gone from a book into policy and self and like, I mean, particularly in the climate world, my goodness, like all the salvation narratives, like you're going to burn and do it for the, you know, it's, it's wild. Um, mm-hmm. But why did, and, and like building and designing and construction is not bad, but you have the tower of Babel, and then you have the Eiffel Tower or the Empire State Building, in which God didn't confuse everybody's language. So, what is it about like building towers as an ideal? Like, so was it that there's an idealism in the Tower of Babel, right? We're going to build a tower and then be like, uh, you know, among the gods or like the gods, kind of. Mm-hmm. And this mm-hmm. is where God's like, nah. Well, um, so, so there's an idealism is like when we look back on it's hilarious you're going to build a tower in the heavens please um out of bricks impress me but you know we still do it so uh, there's nothing new here
1: no and so emphatic yes to working toward improving the planet and the lives of other people emphatic no to idolatry which is often the temptation when it comes to us using Our brains to try to create monuments to human achievement. I think if we want to talk Tower of Babel, I think the clearest example is going to really be the World Wide Web. What's funny about that? In which we scramble our own. Again, this is just take it with. (laughs) We'll take it, take it, you know, with a grain of salt from Cameron. But the ideal with the internet, well, with the World Wide Web, was especially if you listen to some of the the key architects, it was utopian. It was, now we're gonna democratize all information. We're gonna have unprecedented collaboration. It's gonna be an, a, it's gonna usher in a whole new era of human beings working together and doing wonderful stuff. Now the internet has done some some good, of course, but I don't think there are many people with their eyes open who would say, yes the internet has been unbe- you know has, has been a source of total good for us and we've learned so much and we continue to learn so no i mean the information you know of course the internet has has become a place of massive confusion where ironically especially in the social media world and all that given the nature of algorithms and everything everybody in a manner of speaking is speaking a different language they're speaking from their own little sectors across the, these different prat- platforms and everybody gets more confused and now you have you know the proliferation of misinformation and information being weaponized and propaganda on a scale we could have never imagined before so this runs the risk of sounding somewhat pessimistic and I like where you're going Nathan and balancing this out so the the impulse to dream and to reach and to tr- and to be innovative is a good thing that's dare I say it that's- part of part of our I'd say God. God-given. Yeah, that yeah. part of the fact, you know, that it is God-given, absolutely. And so that it that creativity and that natural impulse to tend to our garden. Where we can go astray, of course, is, and this is the timeless, this is the timeless truth that we encounter in Genesis as well, is in the realm of idolatry, where we become intoxicated by our own, you know, our own strength and our own capacities And so this is where, in the realm of technology, we are, and John Gray circles back to this theme over and over again, we are our own worst enemies. We're so innovative and so clever, but we tend not to slow down and ask some of the more reflective questions about some of the technologies we're bringing into the world, what the long-term consequences are for them. It's really easy to point to nuclear power and you know atomic weaponry you know and that's on people's minds not just because of Oppenheimer the movie that came out but also because of Putin once again but this is true of most most of our of our technology when we bring we tend to be pretty unreflective and just very excited about pushing research further and further forward without thinking about what long-term consequences would be for the environment for our own thinking i mean just Look at the way the smartphone has radically changed the way the human brain works. Now, were we worried about any of that? Where we think, well, some people had those concerns, especially the the key innovators in Silicon Valley, and they wouldn't let their children have these devices, but they were happy to sell them to us because we were happy to buy them. So therein there, there there's that balance there. I mean, it's recognizing if a lot, a lot. Of complication can be spared in your life if you recognize that you're not God.
0: Well, there's the the modern world if you
1: don't, (laughs) then (laughs) but in the modern world, if you don't, there's a lot there to at least temporarily mislead you into thinking that you are. And that that is the source, I think, of many, many of our problems. And that's Yeah, I don't
0: know. So I think there's another wrinkle. John,
1: John Gray loves to point that out.
0: Yeah, I think there's another thing though, of like, okay. So I have an idealism, and then I lack the capacity to, to do it. But I'm going to pursue it because I'm I'm assuming that somebody else will figure out how to mitigate the problems that come from it. So, like very few of us are actually creating genuinely new technologies, like on a regular basis. If you listen to this podcast and you've sure innovated something that's been earth-shattering, great. But your experience is a minority experience. Like most of us aren't. <laughs> yeah, it's it's yeah, most of us aren't producing groundbreaking technology. So there's a sense in which we just expect somebody else to figure it out. And this idea of, you know, kind of the open source of the internet's gonna give us that was that was the uh do you remember when Wikipedia was first becoming a thing? Now listen, youngins, for those of you who can't yes. remember this, so Wikipedia was going to be the answer to all the world's it's gonna be a, you know, open platform, scholarly, you know, connection to uh, just free exchange of ideas and information and knowledge is going to grow so much faster. And it quickly turned on, turned into the website that you went on to and changed the opposing football team's mascot right before game day in college. Right. Um, You know, so the fact that anybody could edit it made it hilarious. So there's, there's a sense in which we're, I, I'm trying to think through carefully here. It's, it's not, it's not an irres. Is it an irresponsibility? What what we're essentially doing is saying, if we have the capacity to do something, let's do it. If we have an ideal, let's pursue it. And even if we don't have the 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 proper pieces or technology to do it, and I can't think of it, I bet somebody will by the time we get there. That that sort of seems to be the impetus mm. behind a, a whole number of. Well, I'll give you an example. So, I was listening to a interview with Neil deGrasse Tyson who many of you have probably seen, he's kind of a spokesperson for science. And he was being asked about transgenderism in sports. And he was basically like, ah, oh, it's not a big deal. And they're like, oh, there's some significant physiological differences here. And he's like, well, we're a clever species. We'll figure it out. And I think, you know, mm-hmm. when you have like somebody who's as yeah. smart as he is saying something like that, it, it plays into this thing that we're talking about of here's somebody who has so deeply swallowed the the pill of we're clever, we'll figure it out, therefore we can just make policies and decisions based on how we feel right now and it'll all work out. I, there's not a good history of that actually w- operating that way.
1: No. Right. Yeah, no, you don't have any solid, real bedrock.
0: <laughs> now, I'm a fan that of winging like it and making things up as I go. Like, don't get me wrong there. Um, mm-hmm. But they're all with all my backup plans are within the realm of theoretically testable hypotheses and things that I may or may not have done already in the past. So like you can be innovative with the pieces that you already have, but don't build a new model based on something that doesn't have all of the parts that even exist or nobody's produced yet. That would be my caution to us culturally, but also spiritually, if I could say so, because we get, there's there's also let's go ahead.
1: Well I mean yeah there there's just a general sense in which the time of being able to defer to clever people later down down the line is is coming to an end as well because we're ju- we're just dealing with some of the issues of scarcity and some of our limitations and some of the you know some of the damage to the planet. I mean we're that those are those are problems that are coming home to roost. So that might be the other salient factor here Nathan for this conversation for a lot of people it's being able to always you know the the ability to say well you know this is really good for the economy right now so we'll, somebody else can figure this out later or or if this wreaks havoc you know we'll, we'll we'll figure that out as we go it may be that that's we're kind of uniquely in a place where that's a luxury we no longer have as well so yeah, some of that know, might be come
0: i've been yeah. thinking i was thinking this morning on this might seem really tangential but i want to bring it back around how um, in the Proverbs, wisdom, justice, and righteousness are all linked in a way that you can't take them apart from each other. Wisdom, Mm. justice, and righteousness are all, like, it's a, it's this rolled all into this big ball of wax that if you try to take it apart, none of the rest of the Proverbs make any sense if you try to isolate those things out independently of each other. And so this idea of wisdom being a prerequisite to do things right and to do things justly should slow us down just a little bit in some of our um, promises and pontifications. But that being said, there's a sense in which I think many of us get stuck on, okay, th- it is what it is. Like, how many times do you hear that phrase? People say it, right? Like, this is just how it is. Well, that's not quite right. So as a Christian, we have a sense of how things ought to be. So we we, we need this real clear here's how the world actually works and how, and it, how things are. So the isness of the world, but then as Christians, we have a moral vision for the oughtness of the world as well. And you know, that's the old David Hume thing, like the famous, like the problem in philosophy is how do you get from an is to an ought? How do you get something prescriptive out of something descriptive? Well, from a Christian perspective, we're like we're triangulating that extra knowledge with something that's outside of ourselves. And so our foundation for oughtness comes out of the character and nature of God who transcends all of us. So that's a whole nother talk, but I'm just saying we need that sense of oddness and that compulsion to do something. And we don't ever want to get us stuck in a place in any category of our life where we're like, well, this is how things are. So they can't change like that. The, the idea that change is possible is the foundation of the gospel. So spiritually, Mm -hmm. we're living in a reality where if there's something that we don't like, but it has, it actually has a real thing that it's conforming to, then that change is possible. And so, so that is the difference between a utopia or a pipe dream uh, is the existence of the ideal. So if the ideal is just in my mind, it might be very, very difficult to actualize it. But if there's an ideal that exists outside of me that I was created to conform to, then the possibility of change becomes a very real thing. So there's, there's a degree to which my motivation for change corresponds to an actual reality that is bigger than my dream that I can't quite reach on my own. So, you know, all that a man's reaches should exceed his grasp, or what's a heaven for? If you think that heaven is actually a real thing, if you think that justice actually will happen, if you think that uh, righteousness is possible and that wisdom is a real state of being, then all of a sudden that, like, it's it's not a pie-in-the-sky utopianism. It's a fullness and a fulfillment of the broken pieces that we're currently living in. So in my mind, it works to like separate that out of whether or not our idealism is actually a mythical utopia or whether or not what it is that we're re- aspiring to has a credible reason to believe that it's true. And so that got a little meta there, but that's part of the fun of being a Christian.
1: Yeah, I mean, I think this is God's world. This is not... Our world, and there is a massive difference between those two. Thank God, I will say as a Christian that it's not our world. I think it might be worth pondering that over the you know the next couple of days because we we tend to slip very easily away from the reality that Yes, I mean, those of us who follow Jesus, we often yes, I follow Jesus and I love him and I know he's he's returning to make all things new. Life is very, very difficult. often, you know, we go through lots of hardships in our lives and and you know, it, it can become easy to to get swept up in that and to think, well, this you know, this this world I've in this world of broken, you know, homes and leaking gutters and all of that, I need to just attend to all of this. This is the real world, this is where I need to focus. And then, you know, maybe occasionally retreat to the spiritual world for, you know, some replenishment, when in fact we need to remember that this is actually God's world, and it's God's good world. And yes, it is fallen, but it is ultimately in His hands, and that makes all the difference. And as Christians, we see the world, we know where the world came from, we see the world as it is, we see it realistically as fallen, but we also by God's grace and by through the empowerment of his spirit we are able to get glimpses of the world as it will one day be as well and that can that's the best way to do your your reaching and your creative thinking not in the throes of idolatry which will mislead you every every time but under the inspiration of our lord who will help us to see things as they are and as they one day will be You've been listening to Thinking Out Loud, a podcast where we think out loud about current events and we speculate about all manner of things, but we always conclude with Christian Hope. Thanks for listening to Thinking Out Loud. If you'd like to learn more about what we do, book Nathan or Cameron, or if you'd like to support us financially, whether through a one-time donation or on a monthly basis, you can do so on the donate page at www. Dot TOLtogether.com. That's com. And please consider leaving us a five-star rating and sharing this content with your friends. It really does help.